Welcome to episode 85 of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Hey, my friend, welcome to this episode. Today is Wednesday, but I'm going to continue on the topic I was talking to you about yesterday in episode 84 about leadership, because I was reading this book called Leading Congregational Change. This is a book that I had to buy for my master's degree, and as I'm looking at it, I'm realizing, wow, this thing is 22 years old already. I mean, it seems like a new book to me, but already it's, it's written in the year 2000. But there's a, there's a chapter called Discipline for Practicing Systems Thinking, and there's this little section in here that caught my eye that, that I wanted to share with you, because this is something that every one of us as pastors has to deal with unless we've planted our own church. But even then, we have to deal with it because usually there are going to be people in our new church who come from other churches. So here's what this says, and I think this is so interesting because it, it does. It impacts all of us. A central tenet of systems thinking is that the components of the system are all interrelated. You can remember all the things that you've done if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, the changes you've tried to make uh, in a ministry, and you try to put a new lampshade on something and people get upset. You try to adjust a picture frame as a recent guest said to me and you people get upset. Any any little change, you know, it because because all the components of the system there are they're interrelated. Therefore, a change in one component will ripple through the entire system. Our mental models models, however, tend to simplify the system, our mental models. As a result, leaders routinely underestimate the complexity of congregational life. Man, I am one who would do that. I would come into a a church building, see a whole bunch of people, think everybody's wonderful, and I'm there for the party. But leaders routinely underestimate the complexity of congregational life. They want to explain each issue easily and to intervene directly and decisively. And in reality, any given issue is influenced by all of the actions, attitudes, decisions, people, and artifacts that constitute the congregation. This interaction takes place regardless of whether it is seen or understood. So there's all this stuff that's happening in your church, whether you've got a church of 10 or 20 or 1,000 or 5,000. There's all of this stuff happening in your church. There's systems. And when you change one thing, it's just like in your house when you're going to put a new sink in your bathroom. Oh, we really need a new vanity. And if we're going to do the vanity, then, man, this floor, we might as well just replace the floor tile. And now we've got to paint the walls. And we might as well put a new toilet in here, too. And, and the, the trim in this bathroom is old. It's, it just doesn't matter. And on and on it goes, right? Because you touch one thing and it interacts with all the others. So to give an example here, by the way, this book, Leading Congregational Change, A Practical Guide for the Transformational Journey by Harrington, Bonham, and Fur. Sounds like something from the Three Stooges, doesn't it? Okay. The, the leaders of a 60-year-old congregation realized that respect for the office of the pastor was low. What was less obvious, however, was the influence of the events that had led to four of the last six pastors being fired. With each new dismissal, the congregation's attitudes about the office and role of the pastor were affected. 
The trust and respect that might have been expected were replaced with mistrust and criticism. And without being conscious of this dynamic, current church leaders often overreacted to the new pastor's mistakes and even discounted his good faith efforts. The unresolved pain and fear and anger from these past hurts silently but steadily drained their energy and crippled the congregation's ability to actively pursue God's vision. Hey, have you ever been the recipient of a situation like that as a pastor where you came in and you started to lead some change and people reacted to you? They didn't respond, right? They reacted. They reacted out of fear, hurt, anger, loss, trauma. And and you're looking at them and you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's just me. I'm just, I'm just trying to help. Why would they think? How could they ever think that of me? Why would they think that I would ever be this way or that way? Well, the reason, there, there's a reason, and the very fact that you're asking what the reason is says that you don't know what that reason is. And I've asked that question before. How in the world, when something seems egregious to me and an affront to me and I want to be offended, I have to say, what is really going on here? What part of the system have I just pushed on and I've not realized it? Ignorantly and unknowingly, I've pushed a button. When you push that button, this is what happens. So what do you do? How do you create congregational change without pushing all these buttons? So number one, it takes time. It takes time, especially as a new pastor or as a new leader in a church. As much as we want to and as much we might, as we might think that it's our responsibility, we can't just jump in and expect to change things. It takes time because it takes time, number two, to build trust. We have to build trust. I was in ministry for 30 years, and I went to a new church. And I didn't want to. I wanted to ride out my ministry years in the church that I was at. I'd been there for 14 years. Everybody in in the town knew me. They knew my kids. All four of my kids had graduated from the local high school. They gave me a great reputation because they were good kids. So they would hear my name and they, oh, you're so-and-so's father. Oh, you, you must be a good guy because I really liked your son or I really liked your daughter. I had so much street cred in my last community. And in my church, having been there for 14 years, people knew me. They knew my weaknesses. They knew my quirks. They knew my faults. And they knew the things that they loved about me. And the same for me with them. And when I changed churches, uh, I changed within the same district, uh, within the same region. So I had the same district superintendent. All the pastors that I interacted with within our denomination were the same. I felt like, you know, this is a lateral move. One of the things that I underestimated was the amount of time it was going to take me and the amount of work I would have to put in to build trust. I mean, it's just going to take time. You can't you can't fast track that. The, the only way you can make that time any more effective is when you build into that time intentional 
relationship building communication strategies where you're interacting with people, you're entering into that world, you're spending time with them, you're having conversations, you're there when they have a crisis, you're there when they really need you, and over time you build that trust. That's one of the ways that when you push a certain button on the system and the system is uh, wanting to just do all this stuff to you, Sometimes if you have trust and you have relationships with people and they know you, they cut you some slack. They don't react. They actually do respond. They say, oh, I feel like I want to react this way, but, but, I, but I know John. I, I know Mary. I know Jim. I, I know that they, they, they don't mean that because I've got a relationship with them. I trust them. And then they, they cut you a break and they, they give you some slack. And then they work with you. And then you can begin to lead change, which means that the only change you want to make in that first year or two are the changes that the people are forcing you to make. They want you to make these changes. They brought you in to make these changes. And then there will be a few changes that you can make quickly because the people, that they're doing it. They're going to do it with or without you. And if you jump in and help them, they'll be happy. But there's so many changes we don't dare touch until we have trust. Leading congregational change. The components of the system are all interrelated. How have you been dealing with that lately, Pastor? And how can you apply some of the things I've talked to you about today to your current situation? My prayer for you is that you become a great leader because you're a great person and a great friend and a great shepherd to your people, that will make you a great leader. I love talking with you today, Pastor. My time is up. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for what you do. You are important in your community and in your church. And believe it or not, you're important to God. Have a great day, and I'll see you tomorrow on the Coaching for Pastors podcast.